Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. We're about, we're about a half hour early because we got a special guest on tonight, all the way from Australia. Uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. I am the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. You can find us at uh, CaliforniaHaunts.org. Or if you're more interested in our radio show, that is CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. It's a mouthful, isn't it? It's too many California haunts. Anyway, my team is uh, 45 strong up and down the state of California. And we're in almost every county. So if you, have, if you think you have a paranormal thing going on, let us know, you know, shoot, shoot me a message through here, you know, and, uh, or go to our website at CaliforniaHotsRadio.com and we can try, try to help you out as best we can. And, uh, we don't charge. That's the bright side, which reminds me, let me push my button. Okay. Uh, tonight we have a great guest. His name is Jesse. He's an author, Jesse Fink. He's written several books, most notably on ACDC. And for those of you who may not know who ACDC is because you're a youngin', a uh, real popular heavy metal band back in the 80s. I remember listening to him back then. And I'm really excited to have Jesse on because he's got a book that he's, well, he's, he's written about the Youngs. And he's also written about leads, their lead singer, Bon Scott. And he's uh, made updates to that book. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is Bon Scott, which is really cool. You know, it's a different topic for us because, you know, I like to cover different topics on this show so this just happens to be another different topic for the show but uh you know what without further de- without further delay let me get jesse in hello g'day how are you hi how are you very well i don't know why my camera is not working huh okay i see you as a well okay he'll be back he's trying to get on some reason his camera's off. Let me see if I can control that a little bit. What does it say? Hang on a second. Give me a second, you guys. Let's see what we get. Well, we'll just go audio then. It's no biggie. We'll just go audio then. It's no biggie. Don't worry about the camera. I can still hear you, so here we go. That's fine. We can just go audio. It's not a problem. Cool. Cool. Because I can still hear you. Anyway, tell me about you, because you have a fascinating, I look at the different types of books you write. I mean, talk about, talk about having, you know, a plethora of subjects. Uh, yeah, look, I had an unusual, um, I guess, arrival to ACDC as a topic. Uh, essentially, um, I started out as a, as a sports journalist originally. Uh, uh, sort of back in the late 90s, really. I, I'd worked in book publishing as an editor, went into sports journalism, got out of sports journalism, ended up sort of writing a memoir of my divorce from my um, my wife, actually, back in 2012, and then did a book on um, the youngs of ACDC. Um, and, that, and that book uh, was... 
you know, very successful. It kind of went around the world and kind of made a name for me. And uh, then I um, spent four years writing a book on Bon Scott uh, about his final years in America and his his death in London. Mm-hmm. And then and then out of that, I ended up writing a book about a, um, a cocaine trafficker in Miami who who uh, I had been introduced to while I was working on the, the, the Bon Scott book. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, you know, when you look at your list of books, it's ACDC, ACDC, and then you have the cocaine trafficker book. And I think that's really cool. I well, think it's cool to, like, change it up a little bit for these stories. Yeah, but the thing is, like, each each book kind of leeches into the next one. So... You know, the the fact was that I kind of met someone in Miami who introduced me to the cocaine trafficker. And if I hadn't been working on the Bon Scott book, I would never have met this person. So you just never know where you're going to end up. And and right now I'm writing a book about a spy in World War Two. So cool. there's there's no kind of, you know, kind of linear path really my career, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know what I'm going to be doing next. I could be writing about, you know, um, I mean, I don't even know what your podcast's about. Was it, you know, spectral figures? I don't know. Who, who knows what I could be end up writing about? Right, right, right. So tell me about your interest with ACDC then. How, how did you get interested in that? Uh, more or less, it was the, it was the, um, it was the beginning of my, it's at the start of my book, The Youngs. I talk about I, I was basically having a very low moment where I basically wanted to kill myself. And um, I ended up kind of just happening to find Power Rage on my laptop and put it on at the right time. And it kind of lifted me out of the depression and suicidal ideation I was feeling at the time and kind of made me feel great and sort of made me feel optimistic and inspired the next day and I got on with my life and I felt that ACDC's music was a great anti-depressant for for me during that period Mm -hmm. and then I thought well you know there is something to be said for you know rock and roll really as a anti-depressant and you know ACDC is the biggest rock band in the world why is that you why do they connect with uh more millions of people than really any other band in the world i mean if you go to facebook or whatever um you know acdc's got 35 million followers or whatever they're about as big as it gets and you can go to anywhere in the world you can go to the himalayas you can go to south america you can go to uh you know africa you're going to see kids in acdc t-shirts and why is that so you know the, the youngs was really a tribute to them out of my own sort of, you know, personal tragedy, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of do a book that was uh, really kind of, you know, talking about how music can transform your life. And and the, and the thing is, uh, out of that book, you know, so many people came to me and said, look, hey, dude, you know, I've got... Uh, uh, you know, similar story, you know, you know, my wife left me or, you know, um, you know, my, my daughter died or, or whatever. And they, these people had found that rock music and and especially the music of ACDC had kind of helped them through a bad period. 
and and I think that that is something that um, isn't celebrated enough. I don't think we kind of talk about rock music seriously enough, um, and as as a, as an art form in its own right. Um, and just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not you know brilliant or complex. Right. And right. and 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 you know what ACDC have done is they've just they've honed and perfected um a formula um that is um in, in, incredibly um uh, in, incredibly uh, uh, people people feel incredibly kind of uh, touched by it um mm-hmm. for various reasons and 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 it doesn't have to be necessarily um you know just sort of you know getting drunk in a bar and sort of watching a stripper it can be you know sitting at home like like i was um you know, listening to rock and roll at at a very low moment, and and that can sort of pick you up and and make you feel fantastic. And so that's what the book was about. And then the the Bon Scott book was a completely different book altogether. That was a that was a biography about the last three year, last three years of his life, um, basically fo- focusing on his time in the United States, which was the you know like uh, you know wall to wall kind of uh, shows over uh, you know a three-year period and then you know the last few months of his life in London mm-hmm. you know I remember with, with I was in high school when ACDC had started to hit its peak and I remember because I my father was very old school you know back he, he was born back in 1926 so right. when all this heavy metal music came out I mean you had Kiss you had Motley Crue you had um AC, you know, ACDC all, all mixed in. My father was having fits over this stuff, and I remember all the all the stuff. Even Black Sabbath will say too, mm. and all the stuff people were concerned about it being so satanic with, with kids listening. But I don't, you know, I I think it's a handful of kids that looked at it that way because for me, I'm like you. I like the music. I enjoyed yeah. it, and there's stuff that ACDC's done that's humorous. I mean. I'm not going to yeah. mention the name of the song, but, but there's one in particular that, that I think is just absolutely hysterical, you know? So it's a way to, it's, it's like escapism. You know, you get into it. It's, it's like the, it's, it's like the music during, you know, the, the, and the talkie movies dur- during the thirties when people were, were, had no money. Yeah. You know, but um, that, that, that escape. And I, and that's, that, that's what, that was my draw. It was an escape to listen to the music because it was a time. It was, it was something me growing up in suburbia here in California that I wouldn't even dream of doing. Does that make sense? But but I could see yeah. them doing it, you know. But but you know the thing was uh, having written the Bond book, it was also for me a way of exploring, you know, a whole era in music uh, that will never be repeated. So you know why, you know why were the seventies such a sort of a rich, um, you know, vein of incredibly creative musicians um, and bands and fantastic music, all the music you listen to on the radio these days. Mm-hmm. If you're anywhere, in, you know, driving on a highway in America, you're going to at some point hear ACDC on the radio. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, other bands like Eagles, Van Halen, um, you know, REO Speedwagon, all, the, all these sort of, all these sort of great, you know american bands and 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 you know here we are today and you know what's what's modern music it's you know, you know justin bieber and shit like that you know it's like it's like so how have we gone from you know bands like you know foreigner 
you know, right. fantastic, fantastic musicians and songwriters, and you know, bands like Super Tramp to to you know Justin Bieber. I mean, it's a it's a big it's a big come down. Yeah, it is. Well, I think I think music cycles too. You know, I think you go through uh, like you know for a while there the big band era stuff was coming back, you know, and mm. then that kind of died down again, and then we went back through kind of like a metal phase. Because then you had the second generation of these uh, mm. of these rockers coming out, like Poison and all these other people, and then yeah. again, then the eighties hit, and it was a rehash. You know, they were doing a bunch of cover stuff, and then now, like you say, I don't know what the you know the trend that music's going on right now. It's just so different. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of in terms of rock and roll, yeah. You know, there's no kind of new rock bands coming out, and if they are coming out, they're basically just clones of, of bands that we already knew in the '70s. So, you right. know, look at Greta Van Fleet. You know, basically a clone of Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, the the money in rock and roll these days is in tribute bands. Yeah. You know, and I think tribute bands are a, a plague. You know, I think they're just there's, there's just too many of them. I don't want to see another ad for a tribute band on facebook it's just they're just everywhere and it's it's incredibly dispiriting that you know uh, like i said you know the 70s were was sort of like a, a sort of an unparalleled era for i think creativity in 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 rock and roll and and uh so many fantastic songs and songwriters came out of that period, and I wanted to kind of celebrate that in the book. And I, I think it's a fascinating thing in itself, you know. Quite apart from Bon Scott, um, you know, the thing is, in the seventies, you needed to be really good at what you did. You needed to be a great musician. It it it, it wasn't about the producer. It wasn't about the engineer. It wasn't about the samples or whatever. You had to get up on stage and play live, and you had to be really bloody good. Mm-hmm. And uh, sadly. Um, you know, these days uh, the, the the choices are pretty slim, I guess, when it comes to sort of you know seeing live acts, you know, live rock acts. I mean, look at John Bon Jovi; he can't even sing anymore. So, right. um, uh, you know, people love listening to ACDC; they never get bored of it. No, and like you say, it, it is uh, like all the live acts now. Everybody's retiring. You know, a kid, well, Kiss is on their well. They say they're on their last tour right now, but you know. But yeah, I mean, well, you know, they they kiss, they kiss. They're going to come out in another three years and have their other well, farewell yeah. tour. It's a good thing they wear the makeup too, especially now because man, they're old. I mean, all these guys are so old. But you know, it's it's our generation that wants to hear it. I mean, if ACDC came out with a new album, I'd be the first one in line. Yeah, and 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 and, and a lot of people. You know, still still are you know just like you. So you know, the last album ACDC put out, you know, went to number one in 30 countries or whatever it was. And, you know, while it wasn't sort of classic ACDC, people still, you know, have a great affection for the ACDC sound. And and um, I just think, you know, and I argue this extensively in everything that I do, that the, you know, the high point of ACDC essentially was kind of the, the Bon Scott era and it all sort of ended essentially in 1980. Mm-hmm. See, Jennifer says it's all about dancing now. I, I think so too. I think it's all about dancing. And again, like I said, the cycles. Back in the twenties and thirties, with the big band music, it was about the dancing. So we're, we're we're cycling again with a different style of music, though. 
But yeah. I miss that other stuff. You know, I miss hearing AC. Well, I, of course, I listen to the rock stations that play it. But I, I miss that. I remember seeing ACDC in concert, and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I'd, I'd like to know, you, the, the, the girl that just contacted you, I mean, yeah. I, I, I can't dance to anything these days. I can't dance to anything sort of uh, <laughs> you know, post, post-1981. I think it all kind of ended really yes. with the disco era. I mean, the disco era in, in itself was, was fantastic. It is deserving of a, a great book, and I would love actually to – do something on disco because I just think you know that's another you know much maligned um, musical genre that you know deserves more respect. I do too. In fact, you know, I I just think you know what that was again. But when you look at it too, again, disco was fun for people mm. to dance to, just like listening to ACDC and these other groups. If you take it, if if you take don't take it from the perspective that that the that the critics were saying, you know, the whole satanic thing going on if you don't take it from that perspective and just listen to the music for what it is it's mm. fun to listen to yeah and, and, that, and that and that whole satanic thing is just a lot of bullshit anyway oh, yeah, it's a lot of i don't know i don't know how that sort of just got out of control like it did it was it was originally i think it was the richard ramirez thing and then it just sort of took off from there and it's just all garbage and i would think and, you know like for the acdc and for kiss because i've seen kiss several times too that that image though is fun for them to project you know, even though mm. they're not like that, it's it's kind of a fun thing. It's like being an actor, and you're going to go out and say, "Okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spit fire. I'm going to spit fire in this show." You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the whole devil thing has sort of been good for ACDC, certainly in terms of merchandising. Yeah, you know, they've, they've sold you know millions and millions of pairs of uh, devil horns, you know, <laughs> at their at their concerts, and they they make a you know a lot of money from their merchandise. Yeah. Um, and but essentially, ACDC today is is a is a brand band, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and you mentioned Kiss. Kiss is another brand band. Yeah. Uh, they're making their money from you know t-shirts and coffee cups and you know you name it. I just wonder, like with ACDC, how much longer they're gonna they're gonna tour and stuff? Because I mean, all these other guys are hanging it up. Uh, yeah, and you know, ACDC is obviously. You know, had had their own sort of tragedies to deal with in the in recent years, with um, certainly the death of Malcolm Young, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, uh, it, it looked like it was all over. Then they sort of got together again, and uh, you know, Brian Johnson sort of went back into the studio, and uh, Cliff Williams came back, Phil Rudd came back, you know. I mean, those guys are essentially the nucleus of, of ACDC. Right. Along with Angus Young. And then you've got, you know, Stevie Young stepping in for, for Malcolm. And uh, I, look, I think post-COVID, if, you know, um, you know, travel restrictions around the world sort of get back to normal, I think there's a very good chance that ACDC will do another stadium tour. That would be fun. That would be really fun. So let's talk about Bon Scott. You know, he he was the man. He was the voice. And uh, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the current lead singer at all. I, I think he's great. The guy's been around for years. But I mean, there was just something about Bon Scott. Yeah, he well, he won. He had an incredible stage presence. He he really knew how to uh, work the stage. He was a fantastic mover, even when he wasn't singing. He just watched. Bond move around. It's it's fantastic to watch. 
he had a great personality, um, sort of a devilish grin. Uh, he was he was a great lyricist. Uh, so his his songs are uh, you know are funny and bawdy and and memorable. Um, but he also wrote songs about his life and you know normal sort of human struggles. And I think that's why uh, his songs resonate with fans much more than in sort of later ACDC period stuff, which, you know, frankly, is pretty inane. Uh, if you look at the lyrics to some of these, you know, more recent ACDC songs, that you know, abysmal. So, you know, there's no comparison, and that's why, you know, everything that I've ever done when it comes to ACDC is kind of drawing a line in the sand between the, you know, the Bond era and the Brian era. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of Bon Scott also leached over into Back in Black, which of course is the you know the biggest selling hard rock album of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, to become a rock star, we'll, we'll look at it from his perspective. What kind of background did he have to you know leading up to doing this? Well, Bon was a bit of a chameleon. He he had sort of been in um, you know um, a bubblegum band called the valentines before that he was in a band called the specters and then he was in um a sort of a hippie band called fraternity and his 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 you know career was essentially kind of on the skids and over when he was sort of asked to replace the first singer of acdc dave evans and uh you know bond sort of transformed from a hippie into a you know hard drinking hard rocking rock god and and he performed that role with a plong and uh you know the, the thing with bond though was that a lot of it was performance you know that the real bond scott was very different off the stage that's why i wanted to ask you what was he like off the stage because i mean when you when you saw the perform <laughs> the performances were wild so what kind of person was he off the stage uh, well, you know, Bond had his his struggles with alcohol and drugs, um, uh, but he was also, you know, he was a bit of a a, a person who uh, liked to he liked to read. He liked to sort of listen to sort of different kind of music that you wouldn't expect, like Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, he was pretty much a lone wolf, I guess, when it came to. You know, socialising with his with his bandmates after gigs, he would go off and do his own thing. And, you know, he was kind of a separate entity to the band when they weren't performing. You know, he had his own life, he had his own so- social circle, and he, um, uh, you know, he liked to party though, and 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 had the, um, you know, the the capacity to imbibe, you know, vast amounts of of alcohol. Wake up in the morning, you know be very neat and tidy and sort of, you know, get on the tour bus and do it all again. Um, But I think it's pretty clear, you know, to anyone who, uh, you know, is familiar with, I guess, photographs of Bond from, you know, the late 70s. He was sort of at his physical peak around, you know, 1978. You look at shots of Bond from that that year, he was in fantastic shape and... um, you know, looked looked amazing. Um, by the end of '79, he looked really bad. 
you know, he he uh, had deteriorated a lot, and I think you know his his drug use and and alcohol use was was off the scale, and he was he was certainly winding down, and that's kind of what the 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 title of the book is really is all about. You know, the last highway is, is sort of the road that that Bond took to his own death through his own decisions, and uh, he. Uh, he didn't have any restraints sort of when it came to sort of alcohol and drugs. Well, let's talk about that too. I mean, he's when they're on tour, I mean, obviously, because I've heard stories. I, uh, I, I interned for a while at a local radio station here, you know, mm. that, that handle rock and you hear stories and, and the, the DJs that had been backstage and whatnot, you hear this stuff, the parties at the hotels. I mean, was it really like the press makes or, or like the stories go where there's just tables lined with, with drugs? And stuff like that. Uh, look, I heard I heard a lot of stories. You know, certainly that you know, you know, there was one story that wasn't even in the book, which was, you know, Bond having sex with ten women, sort of lined up, you know, wow. in a row. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, Bond certainly certainly got into the you know the cocaine and, and quaaludes and things like that when he was in Miami in '79. Um, and I think he was pretty sort of mixed up in the heroin scene in London um, in in early 1980. And and obviously I make a case in the book that, you know, Bond died of a heroin overdose mm -hmm. uh, rather than the official, you know, acute alcohol poison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you know, that lifestyle, and it's like when you look at someone like Elvis even, that lifestyle leads into that because of, of the fact that, that that their whole lifestyle, it's not a normal lifestyle, you know, and so they have to do something to keep the energy levels going and, and keep everything going. So that I think that's what leads them to taking stuff. Yes. Well, he had, he had no, he had no base essentially. I mean, he was, he was on the road the entire time. So, you know, the, 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 the arc of the book is, is, you know, from Texas, 77 is ACDC's first show in America through to I think it was October 79 where they end up playing their last gig in Ohio and last American gig in Ohio with with Bond and then over to London where they're getting ready to um you know record Back in Black and and there's the whole issue of you know how much involvement Bond had in the the writing for that album which is a perennial Kind of talking point, talking point for for fans, and uh, you know, various narratives have kind of been produced over the years. And and there's the official narrative, and then there's the alternative narrative. And I think that uh, I don't think the official narrative is uh, true, to be honest. Interesting. Um, when they did make that first album. How long did it take him to, to uh, make that first album? Sorry, which album are you talking about? The first, uh, Back in Black. Oh, they they recorded that in the Bahamas. Uh, what was that? April, April nineteen eighty. So I think it, it might have been six weeks or four weeks or something like that. I don't know off the top of my head, but um, you know the the issue is, you know, how much of how much of Bond's songs or how much of his lyrics ended up on that album because mm -hmm. uh, he had a notebook the the notebook disappeared uh lyrically there are songs on that album that are very kind of redolent of 
the Bond style. Uh, there are some there are some very snappy phrases, some nice writing on there, and then after Back in Black, basically it all evaporates. Uh, there are no sort of great albums that can really compare to to Back in Black after um, after nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. I think I think you know Bond had something to do with 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 Back in Black. You know uh, the the information that is available suggests that he had something to do with it. The official line is that he had nothing to do with it. So there's a bit of a schism between those two camps. What, who was the producer for those out for that album? Because I know Mutt Lang did. You know, yeah, of- it was it was Mutt Lang. Yeah, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, the guy's a master, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it's a great, great album. You know, t- taking nothing away from it. I mean, Highway yeah. to Hell, you know, uh, Back in Black for those about to rock are three fantastic albums, and I think kind of ACDC kind of lost their way after they parted ways with. Uh, I Mutt think. Lang. I think it's hard. I, I, you know, lost your way is a good way to put it, but I think it's hard once once you peak like that. Trying to figure out how to keep that ball rolling to keep people's attention—that's what's hard, you know. Because you're looking at you're, you're looking at trends and stuff, and maybe you might want to. Pick, I mean, look at look at the whole glam the whole glam rock thing that came through. Mm-hmm. But thank God ACDC never fell to that. Okay, because some of those groups, where well, I'll tell you, you know, with that. Well. Well, I mean, mid mid eighties ACDC is pretty pretty dire. I mean, the fly fly on the wall album is that's a shocker and um, <laughs> it's best best forgotten. Um, but you know, look, the thing is with ACDC, it, there's there's um, there are really two camps. I mean, or three camps really. There's the there's the Bond camp, there's the the Brian camp, and then there's the I love both eras camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm firmly in the the Bond camp, you know. So I run a Facebook group called Bond Scott Forum on on Facebook, and uh, we have fifteen thousand people there. Basically, their focus is that era, and they're happy with that era. They're not really kind of fussed about anything sort of post nineteen eighty, and uh, um, which is good. And you know, it's it's kind of like the discussion about you know Van Halen. I mean, and you know. If you had asked me in 1986, you know, who I loved in Van Halen, I would have said David Lee Roth. But like today, I'm a Sammy Hagar guy. Right. You know, right. um, you know, taste change. And I kind of remember when, you know, David Lee Roth left the group too. And I remember thinking, I thought, you know, Sammy Hagar would be a really good fit. And this is way before they had decided on Sammy Hagar. You know, so yeah. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it, you know, sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it doesn't. I have nothing against Brian. It's just, mm. it's just not the same. His voice isn't as as, as strong. No, he, and 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 David and David Lee David Lee Roth is exactly the same yeah. right now. He can't sing anymore. Um, yeah. And I have the same feeling about Brian Johnson as and mm-hmm. as obviously I do about John Bon Jovi. And but Sammy Hagar can still sing sing and uh, uh, you know. If I'm if I'm just listening to Van Halen for for pleasure these days, I'm certainly getting into the uh, the Hagar era. Well, in a lot of ways, listening, and I hate to say this, but you know, I, I've always had pneumonia, bronchitis, and all this stuff, and and listening to Brian makes my throat hurt sometimes. It really does. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> um, 
Look, the, the, yeah, he, he oh. look, I'm not going to get into a Brian Johnson bashing. Know, I'm, kind just of... saying, I'm just saying, <laughs> like, you're talking about the difference between the two singers. Yeah, listening to Brian, you know, with, with, with his throat, just. <laughs> yeah, he he's just struggling. Uh, you just you can hear it, and and it just it's not very pleasant to listen to. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that you you know you could go through life on the on on this kind of music and scream so much before your voice does start to go. And I, I just yeah, think that's yeah. a given. I mean, even Elvis, when you listen to his stuff from the fifties, what he as as he got further further and further away in the sixties, he got away from that because it was a strain, probably a strain on his voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, like I said. Sammy can still sing, and right. uh, you know it's just a shame. Obviously, that you know Van Halen passed away because yeah. it would have been would have been great for that band to get back together. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So tell me about Bond. Tell me about you know what was his personality like? You know, because because you see the persona on stage and you hear little snippets off stage, but what kind of guy was he off stage? Oh look, I haven't heard anyone sort of say a bad word about Bond, other than that he had a sort of a dark side when he got really drunk. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a bit of a dark drunk uh, and he was unmanageable and he would do, um, you know, out of control things, uh, you know, like urinate in, in the middle of someone's living room, which is, you know, is not on for a, for a man of, you know, 32, 33 years old to be doing that. It's just not acceptable, right? Mm -hmm. so there was that side of him which obviously you know distressed some people certainly distressed uh his girlfriend silver smith and led basically to the two of them breaking up she left him because of these this sort of stupid behavior um but then again he he was also um incredibly popular guy with a great sense of humor who had a you know larger than life sort of personality and sort of you know touched and charmed you know people that he came into contact with certainly you know anyone who's had certainly you know I, i've spoken to a lot of people over the years who had you know casual encounters or you know passing encounters with with bond and they all speak of him as if he was like some sort of magical peter pan figure mm -hmm. and and uh, and there is that element in, you know, parts of the ACDC fan community that like to hold up Bon as this sort of, you know, cartoon figure. You know, he's celebrated as if he's this, you know, um, you know, rock star that that that's never died. That. Uh, you know, his spirit lives on, that he's the, you know, the essence of rock and roll. And, you know, he represents uh, really a, a, a way of living to a lot of people. Um, he represents to them, I think, the way that a lot of people want to live or like to think that they, that, that, you know, the, the way they want to live and, and aren't living, you know. He, he's, in, he's an aspirational figure, so they end up sort of getting you know, tattoos of him, you know, on their arms or legs or backs or whatever, you know, it's like, it's a, you know, it's a bit of a cult, mm -hmm. really. Um, but that's not really the real Bon Scott. You know, it's the it's the cartoon Bon Scott. It's the mm -hmm. Bon Scott you, that you see 
at Bonfest in Scotland or, you know, in, in these crappy documentaries that are up on television. Um, right. It's not the real guy. And and certainly my book was an attempt to uh, kind of really peel away the mythology around the bloke and, and see who he really was. Now, my other question is, let's uh, clear something up for people because you always wonder how they grew up. I mean, did he have a normal, did he come from a normal childhood or, or, or you know, a normal house, you know, mom and dad and all that? A Scottish family who, who came to Australia, you know, when he was very young, he had you know, a couple of brothers. He was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a larrikin, a bit of a, he had a bit of a wild streak. Um, but he was never particularly, certainly later in life, according to his late girlfriend, Silver Smith, he wasn't particularly close to his, uh, to his brothers. Um, and spent a lot of his, like I said, spent a lot of his later life, the, the, the key sort of three years of his life, in my opinion, um, in the United States touring. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that was why. The focus for me was was his time in the United States um, because that was where he was spending most of his time. And you've got to remember, he kind of turned up in the United States and in 77, those guys worked their asses off to, you know, gain some traction on American radio and to sell records. And they were in danger of kind of being dumped by the record company at various points. And then they, you know, they had their breakthrough with Highway to Hell and, uh, before then, they they released Power Rage, which today I think is their best record, and I think it's recognised by people as the best record. But it wasn't a commercial success. Mm -hmm. You know, the tra the tragedy is, you know, he passed away, you know, right on the cusp of them, you know, becoming a massive worldwide band. Right. But you know, the question is, you know, if Bond hadn't died, would it would back and back and black have been as big as it was? Right and, right, and I think, in a lot of ways, his death and the and the circumstances around his death and the mystery of his death kind of infused that album and sort of made it bigger than it was. Now, what 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 was their schedule like? You know, during that time period. I mean, it's like you say that they worked their butts off trying to get this thing to launch. So, so what was a typical day for them like? Well, I mean, if you look at the, I mean, actually, in the book itself, there is a, there's an appendix of all their American shows, and you know, it's just you know dozens and dozens of pages. Of, and it's essentially those guys were playing a show every day, sometimes you know twice a day, um, you know, right across the United States. There were only a few states um, in America they they didn't play. I think it was like seven seven or eight states they didn't actually play so they were you know, they were going everywhere you know mm -hmm. um i don't think you would find a, a harder working band in the, the rock business in the in the late 70s than, than acdc and and the great thing about them was that they were turning up and they were blowing other bands off the stage you know mm -hmm. bigger bands uh you know people were going to concerts sort of expecting that the headline act you know was going to be the best band they saw that day and in fact you know acdc kind of uh, as the support act for a lot of these bigger acts um you know eclipsed them 
Of course they did. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, that just, just I just thought of something too. I mean, there's a lot of cases, and it's not, I don't think it was ACDC so much, but you know, because of the tour schedule these bands were on, a lot of these ba- people in the bands didn't even know what city they were in half the time because they were hitting so many cities. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that sort of fed into probably the the drinking and the drugging and, you know, Bond losing uh, sense of, you know, his own, uh, who he really was. You know, was he, who, who was he? Was, he? was he the guy off the stage or was he the guy on the stage? You know, there were two sort of diff- separate things and, uh, and uh, you know, I think, you know, I can only you can only speculate because you know, obviously, right, I was right, right. I was six years old when when Bond died, seven years right. old when Bond Bond died. I can't I can't say exactly what was going on in his head, but you know, after if you spend four years researching someone's life, speaking to hundreds of people, mm-hmm. uh, as I have, uh, you do sort of come up with your own sort of judgments and conclusions about what was going on, sort of internally and. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing is, I haven't sort of written this book as like, um, you know, the gospel. It's like, right. I just, I, I just want, I just want people to read it. Look at the, look at the information that I've, that I've come up with, you know, the evidence for various things and kind of make up their own mind. Make well, up their own mind because nothing, nothing's definitive. Right. And I, I agree with you. It's, it, it was probably really hard. When they were when they were on the road to separate that because you got all the groupies around you know you got all the groupies around you got all the yes men around mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know and so the yes men make you feel real good because you're the god hey everything you do exactly. everything you touch turns to gold but then you it's it's then it's hard I, I would think it would be hard after after all that adulation to go back to try being a normal person absolutely and you know the thing is you know I went and spent time with his girlfriend in Miami. I mean, she she opened up a house to me. We spent a lot of time together. We're, we're still friends. Um, you know, she knew him better than most, as did um, Silver Smith in Australia, who died in 2016. You know, neither of those women wanted any publicity, mm-hmm. right? They're private people, or they, you know, one of them, is private and the other one is dead but you know they're 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 both private people um and but they knew him best and the 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 ironic thing is that a lot of these people who go around sort of saying oh i knew him best Mm -hmm. uh you know i know the full story they're they're the people who are going out sort of you know seeking the publicity you know uh, the people who really knew him aren't going out there saying, "Hey, everyone, I knew Bon Scott. You know, look, here's a picture of me with Bon Scott. You know, I, I'm the person who knew him best. I, I was his soulmate, or whatever." It's like the the, the real people who matter mm-hmm. are the people who don't want to talk to you. you no, know, they're the people whose trust you have to gain. Right. And and I and I sort of did that you know, over a, a period of four years. And, you know, I wrote this back in 20, I finished it in 2017. What is it now? 2022. So it's been five years since the original edition came out. I've, I've, I've been working 
I started working on Bon Scott uh, in 2014. So it's almost been, you know, 10 years, me sort of inhabiting this, 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 this world, you know, this Bon Scott world. And, uh, you know, I've come to learn a lot of things, learn that there are a lot of people who, who hate my guts for, for kind of, you know, even attempting to or daring to write this book. You know that that bucks all the sort of conventional narratives that that, that upsets a lot of people, um, but you know the proof is in the pudding. It's the biggest selling Bon Scott biography ever written. You know it's published around the world. Um, I think fans, uh, you know, are, are, are recognizing that some of the stories that have been told over the years um, uh, aren't true or, or should at least be questioned and. Uh, you know, ultimately, I think uh, it's about time, you know, someone actually bit the bullet and attempted a, a, a serious documentary about Bon Scott because the documentaries that we've had up to this point, including the Australian story, the documentary that was was um, released the other day, mm-hmm. are just a load of shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I just think, you know, a lot of, like you say, uh, as far as access goes to the people that really, that really knew him, I think that's why you see a lot of these documentaries like they are because people, they don't want to talk to these, you know, these documentary people. And so they're going to go with what, with whatever hearsay or, or whatever's, you know, in the newspapers or, or whatever, you know, to put together the documentary. I think that's where the problem lies. Yeah. And, and uh, I certainly look, if I were producing a documentary, I'd have a very, very select list of who I'd be talking to. Mm-hmm. It's not about, Hey, you know, Hey, you know, I I met Bon Scott in 1978, and here I, here's me in a picture with Bon Scott. Well, that's great, but that doesn't sort of make you an interesting person to talk to. I mean, the people who really mattered, you know, to me in the telling of the Bon Scott story were the were the people that were so, so difficult to find. You know, they're the people who are not putting themselves out there. They're not the people who have made their whole lives uh, or built their whole identities around their passing association with Bon Scott, you know, 45 years ago. And there are so many people like that, you know, and, and it's kind of pathetic. But, you know, whether it's ACDC or another band, there are a whole bunch of people who, who are like that, you know, who just sort of make such a big deal about their passing association with, you know, or dalliance with, you know, some rock star 50 years ago. I mean, it's kind of pathetic. Or like you know, like like I said, it, it must be tough for the, for the the rock star themselves to find friends, to find friends that they can trust. I mean, right? Like right now, I, I hear stuff all the time about, well, I've, I'm not going to do autographs because somebody's going to turn around and sell it on eBay. Yeah, so yeah absolutely. It must be, yeah. You know, to be in that position and, and to find and to try and find people that are real around you, like his girlfriends, it's hard. It's got to be hard. Yeah, exactly. And, and look at, you know, even dating today. Can you imagine what it's like if you're, you know, a single Hollywood star or, you know, whatever, and you're just trying to meet someone who's normal, who's not going to treat you differently because of your celebrity? You know, it would be extremely, extremely hard. And, uh, you know, the the level of kind of celebrity and adulation these guys in the 70s is kind of nothing to you know nothing compared to what it's like today right because of social media and and the internet and everything else 
you know, got to remember in those days, you know, people got their information about rock stars through, you know, picking up a copy of um, Circus or Billboard or, you know, whatever, or listening to their local radio station. There was no internet. There was no, you know, iPhone. There was, no, there was nothing like that. So, you know, the world has changed completely and celebrities just got out of control. I remember going down to Tower Records to meet Quiet Riot. You know, just <laughs> I remember standing in line for hours just waiting for, for a quick handshake and out the door, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those days. That's how old I am. <laughs> I never say that's how old. <laughs> I never say how actually old I am, but that's how that's how old I am. I was standing in line to see Quiet Riot. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so tell me, uh, did, were you able to find out that what happened that that last night with him and who he was with? Yes, and and I've certainly done more work in that. Uh, respect than anyone has ever done. I can confidently say that. Uh, I found a woman who uh, said that she was with Bon Scott and Alistair Kinnear when you know Bon was back at the flat in East Dulwich where he was found in the car. You know, so there was a third person there um, who had never sort of. Uh, admitted this before it took 40 years for her to, to say that and i managed to get that out of her um which you know which makes you really question how thorough the the original police sort of investigation was into the, the circumstances of bond's death and and this uh this updated edition that that's coming out uh in a couple of weeks which you can pre-order through Amazon now, um, it has more information about, you know, Bond's 24, last 24 hours and, and who was with him and there was actually, you know, another person who was with the, the three of them and, uh, you know, there's more to this story than, than, than people think. It's not just a case of, you know, Bond was left in the car with a blanket and sort of was found the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's a whole lot more to it and I certainly... I'm of the view that he um, succumbed to, to something else other than the official version. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would think it would be hard to, to gauge somebody too, because I mean, when people take, I mean, I mean, even like normal painkillers for, for back pain and stuff, when people take that stuff, their body gets used to it. Mm. And when they're on it, you can't tell that they're on it really because they're not acting goofy or anything else. You know, they don't look like they're under duress. So I could see where in, like, with a person like Bond, you know, he's been taking and drinking this stuff, or we'll just say the drugs part, you know, taking mm -hmm. it, and his body could tolerate a lot of it. So, I mean, people probably, you know, didn't even realize how, how far gone he was at that point. Yeah, but, he, you know, look, his blood alcohol reading was about half of what killed Amy Winehouse, okay. right? Uh -huh. And Bond was a was a sturdy drinker. He was a you know a, a sturdy story drinker. He could handle his alcohol. Um, the, the, the fact is that he was hanging out with and in the company of people who were either heroin users associated in some way with heroin. Um, he was mixed up in the heroin crowd in London. I spoke to anyone that I could find who was known to have played a role in 
you know, his last 24 hours, certainly the people that were still alive. And, and I also spoke to people who have since died. Um, and I, it's a case of, you know, um, running against the clock because, you know, these, these people are passing away and, and, and time is running out to actually get the, the real story about what happened to Bond that night. Um, it's not as sort of neat and tidy as people think it is. It's, it's actually a fairly complex, um, quite confusing, actually, um, story. And, and that's why it ended up sort of taking me two years alone just to kind of, you know, work through all the various stories that had been told about what happened and kind of make sense of, of, of all that information and kind of, you know, put it together in a, in a way where it kind of made sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about your interest in ACDC, now, I mean, you were six years old when he passed away. Mm. So how did you get interested in ACDC? Did you, did you have older siblings that, that were playing the music? No, like I said before, it was just simply a case of, you know, Power Rage coming on at the right time when I needed ACDC to come into my life. And, uh, you know, I, I've been into rock and roll. I grew up in Sydney in and around um the Balmain rock scene here, you know, my mates were all, you know, rock musicians and, you know, we, I'm, not, I'm not saying I never didn't listen to ACDC before that point, but I certainly got into, got into ACDC in a bigger way after my own sort of, uh, you know, pivotal experience or pivotal sort of exposure to their music. And, and then, you know, I went and wrote the books and, uh, you know, to this day, yes, I, I would say, say I'm an ACDC fan, but I also have, I think, the necessary detachment from it to kind of look at things objectively. And, uh, you know, I, I started writing The Youngs as a tribute to ACDC, but I also sort of came across the story of, of them being a fairly ruthless business organisation as well. And so some people were fairly upset with, you know, some of the things that were written in that book about, you know how tough ACDC were with you know various sort of former band members and so on. Mm-hmm. That was my other question too. I mean, did did you get any like like the first book you wrote about the Youngs? Did you get any comments from people in in the band? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, well, the, the current band, uh, not at the time. I mean, I spoke to Phil Rudd later on. Uh, you know, Mark Evans, uh, the bass player from ACDC. He and I. Um, we spoke uh, with each other. He gave me a great endorsement for the book at the time, um, which which helped a lot. And uh, uh, you know, so I've I've yeah spoken to various people who have been in ACDC over the years. But in in terms of actually sort of penetrating the the, the current um, band. Uh, and getting access to them, no, that, that hasn't happened. Um, I did actually, no, I did actually have some uh, a very short uh, email exchange with Stevie Young at, at some point, but I've never spoken to Angus Young. Okay, never, spo- never spoken to Brian Johnson. No, it's just it's just so impressive to me that after you know so many years, all these years, they're still as popular as ever. Yeah, and you can look. I, I love them. Uh, they, they they changed my life. I'm I'm glad they came into my life. Um, but like I said, I have the detachment. 
I have the ability to think for myself. I can see some things that that I just think are a little bit, you know, not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, looking at the story around Bond's death and the you know the issue of you know the lyrics on Back and Black and and you know I want to actually find out what the real story is and sure. and I think that still fascinates you know millions of people around the world i mean if it didn't fascinate people we wouldn't be talking about it or this book wouldn't be right. being published you know there's still a lot left i think to tell in the ac story acdc story from those early years and um you know the the question is what kind of book do you want to read do you want to read the hagiography or do you want to read the you know serious biography Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How long did it take you to write to, to, to write the updates for this book? Um, there's a, there's a sixteen page sort of new introduction, and then I sort of went through the the book and uh, you know updated various parts of it and sort of uh, came up with you know adjustments to my original theories about you know what exactly happened to Bond. I had a lot of help from a reader in France who sort of introduced me to kind of articles in French that I had never seen, which kind of, you know, cast a different light on certain aspects of the story, you know, that he turned up an interview with Bond in late 79 where Bond was actually saying that he wanted to leave the band, which is something that I argued in the original edition and I certainly copped a lot of shit for saying that. Um, But since then, you know, from a couple of different sources, I've, I've, you know, found that uh, basically what I said in that uh, original edition was true. And it's been and it's backed up by you know Bon himself. So why why did he want to leave? Well, I mean, it's like you know why am I writing a, a book about a spy? I mean, I could sort of spend the rest of my life writing books about Australian rock and roll bands, but you want to do something different. You want to sort of challenge yourself. If you're you're halfway creative, it's like you know you want to just sort of. Uh, freshen things up a bit and, and attempt something new and, you know, be be bold and, you know, you have one life. Why not just sort of do something different? And I don't think it's any different for a musician. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you know, some of the some of the most creative musicians in the world. I mean, you, you never know what they're going to do next and, and I'm exactly the same. I don't ever want to be pigeonholed um, in one genre. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think Bond... You know, you got to remember he had been in a bubblegum band, he'd been in a hippie band, he'd, he'd been in a rock band. He'd served his time in that band. He was exhausted. He wanted to do something different. He probably would have ended up, you know, doing ballads for MTV. Who knows? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who knows? Or he could be painting now or whatever. But, you know, I think we're all capable of reinvention and, and he was certainly no different. He was one of the great reinventors. Well, yeah, you think about like Paul Stanley. I mean, he's got a jazz band. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and Sammy Hagar makes tequila. I mean, we all do <laughs> sort of different things with, our, with ourselves at, at, at various points. And, you know, I think, I think it's great that these people, you know, take the risk and they do something different. I, I think there's nothing more tedious than someone who's just sitting in their comfort zone um, when you know that they have the talent to do something better or at least attempt something different. Absolutely. Okay, one last question for you, sir. If you're trying to explain it, the ACDC, to the younger kids now to get them interested in it, how do you do that? 
<laughs> um, look, it's just it's just the the power of rock and roll in in its most in its simplest form, mm-hmm. you know, and and really, I think you know what I tried to do in the Youngs was I tried to sort of you know show that 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 ACDC's music is an art form in itself uh, and it's not to be sneered at, it's not to be dismissed just because it's so simple. Mm -hmm. You know, that there is artistry in simplicity. Artistry does not have to be concomitant with, you know, uh, complication or, you know, um, it it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be fussier. Uh, just to be important or to be taken seriously, you know. Um, it's like good writing. You know, a, a good writer is someone who writes simply, you know, and clearly uh, and gets their message across with the the the, uh, the minimum amount of words. It's like, you know, Ernest Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you use a, a florid phrase in your writing doesn't mean you're a good writer, and it's the same with music. Mm-hmm. You know, break it down, make it simple. And so there's there's something to be learned there, I guess. Um, you know, by young kids, it's like you want to know what a what a great musician is. Well, you know, you go and listen to um, you know Malcolm Young's riffs from you know those early ACDC records. That's 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 art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. No problem. It was great to talk to you, and I'm sorry about the camera, but um, I'm sure you can load a photo of me later on. There you go. (laughs) I know you're a busy guy, and what's next for you? Uh, Like I said, I'm I'm working on a a book about a spy in World War II, so that's a completely different uh, genre for me. It's, It's taking up a lot of time, obviously, because, you know, you're dealing with someone who's been dead a very long time and everyone who knew him is dead. And so it's very research um, heavy. And uh, But it's fascinating and, you know, I like to do things that are totally different. And, you know, maybe, you know, one day I might write another book in, in, in music. I'm not ruling that out, but I just never wanted to kind of uh, be seen completely as a rock writer or as a sports writer or whatever. It's like if, if you write books, you write books and you should always try to do something different. Absolutely. How can people find you? Uh, you can find me Instagram, uh, Jesse Fink, or uh, on Facebook. You know, I, I'm running Bon Scott Forum. You can come to my personal page and send me a message or whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, guys can order the book through Amazon. You just uh, type in, you know, Bon updated Fink, and you should find the uh, the updated edition, which is coming out. It's it's got a black cover with a gold lettering, and you can't mistake it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again. I'd love to have you on on a later date to talk about your projects because you're fascinating to talk to. Thanks so much. Okay. You All right, sir. Thank you. Have a good evening or a good bye. day for you. It's good evening for me. <laughs> have a good one. See you later. Bye. All right, bye. Okay, that was some interesting stuff, and uh, I've been looking forward to talking to Jesse for a few months. You know, we've been trying to touch base and get the schedule straight. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, coming up, I have a, a, a 
psychic development class that I'm teaching, and that's going to be on. Let me flip this up. I keep doing that. Huh? I keep forgetting my bloody dates. And that's going to be on the 28th at 11 a.m. And I'm going to be teaching psychic development level one. And what that in, what that entails is a little bit of what Nancy and I were talking about last weekend. In that, you know, when when you first start out as a psychic, you open the door. But the problem is, by opening the door, not everything is nice that comes through the door. Okay. So what I teach is how to close the door. And the way I, and the way I teach that, it's fun. Yet at the same time, you're learning a lot. Um, I teach you how to, how to go out of body. I teach you how to come back into your body, how to open and close that door. Visit your spirit animal. Visit your spirit library. Visit your spirit guides. Meet, meet your spirit health guides. So if you're interested in learning all that stuff and learning about protection, which is really important as well, come on and join the class. Uh, check out California Haunts Meetup, and you can find the class there. On the 21st, I'm also teaching a Ghost Hunting 101 class, and that is the first level of Ghost Hunting. That is the class that I use to teach my own investigators. And I go through and I teach them all about technique. I teach them all about protocols, what, what, you know, what, what to do, what not to do during a ghost hunt, you know, how, how to set up your ghost hunts, all that stuff. I teach all that stuff. I, I do it in two hours. It's pretty cool. I let you see some of my evidence too while I'm at it. Um, but there's certain protocols to take. You know, even if you're a recreate, what I call the recreational ghost hunter, when you go to the haunted hotels or restaurants with your family and say you want to spend the night in some hotel somewhere and while everybody's sleeping, you want to sneak out and do some EVP work and stuff. I teach you how to actually set all that up to where you know you're going to get good good quality EVPs when you do get them, okay? Because there's certain ways you can do it, and there's certain ways you, you can listen to the stuff and know exactly what, what you're listening to. So if you're interested in that, California Haunts Meetup, come on down, sign up, because they're going to start filling up, okay? If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Uh, and if you're watching from YouTube, please subscribe. Uh, there's a little ghost down there with a magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat. And click on that and you can subscribe and you will see almost 260 videos over there. And they're varying topics, just like this week so far. You know, we've had Jesse Fink has been on. Yesterday we talked about, what did we talk about yesterday? <laughs> I'm tired. It's been a lot. I took a six-hour nap today. That's how tired I am. You know, anyway. Yes, uh, see the aisle after a while. So we've had like three different topics so far this week that we talked about. Monday was air, was air safety. Yesterday, now I remember, yesterday yesterday was conditions in jails and mentoring gang, you know, gang members to try or, or, or kids so that they don't become gang members and things like that. And then today, of course, was Jesse Fink about ACDC. So, um, yeah, so that, that's what I'm talking about. When you go over to the YouTube site, you will see all these different types of videos because I like to cover all these different types of topics. All right. You can also access those those from CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And uh, the fact that usually like tonight when when you go in there and give me about what, 15 minutes, uh, this video will be posted on there. So you can see that, if, you know, if you miss some of it or whatever and you want to hear it. We also have a download site as it will become a podcast in about 20 minutes. And you can find us on Apple and all the major podcast systems. All right. Tomorrow, we're shifting gears now. We're going back to the paranormal. Lily Nova is going to be with us. Lily Nova is a photographer who lives in Missouri. And during COVID, she just, you know, she got to where she was out taking astral photography, which is something I want to get into. 
And uh, that's why I'm excited to talk to her about it. And while she was out taking photos, she noticed that the light, that there were certain lights moving in the sky. And so this was happening every time she went out. And eventually, she made contact with the ETs. But the cool part of it all is she documented it. She's got stuff on video. She's got photographs. And so she's going to be on tomorrow at 6.30 p.m., our usual time, to talk about that. And I'm hoping, I emailed her last night, I'm hoping to get some of her footage so I can show it during, you know, dur during the program so you guys can see it. But she's going to be on with us tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. So I hope you come in and check that out. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming. And I think I covered, ah, I know, that that PBS moment. Always the PBS moment. Uh, California Haunts operates as a nonprofit, you know, and uh, we're not a nonprofit. We, you know, on paperwork, we're not a nonprofit, but we operate as a nonprofit. And it's because we don't take any money to ghost hunt. We don't take any money for the radio show. We don't do any of that. But the thing is, I still have bills to pay. I'm retired, right? So anything you can donate would help to keep us going, to help pay the bills. You know, right now I've got four more bills to go, and we're trying to put all that together. That would be a paypal.me at California Haunts or Venmo. If you have a Venmo, just go into Venmo, type in California Haunts. You can do it that way. But I would really appreciate it. I appreciate the help. I love I love doing this show. I love bringing this information to you guys. And hopefully you can help me stay on the air and keep getting cool guests. All right. Anyway, with that being said, I'm going to show you Jesse's contact information and his books. And here we go. His website is jessefinkbooks.com. J-E-S-S-E-F-I-N-K-B-O-O-K-S dot com. Bond, The Last Highway is the book we were talking about tonight, and that is for pre-order. And the other book is Jesse Fink, The Youngs. And his most recent book is Pure Narco, about the cartels, the drug cartels. And that can all be found at Amazon, of course, and on Jesse's site as well. Okay, guys, I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a nice evening.